Um, this week, uh, I, I just ended a series a couple weeks ago called Made Two, and we'll, we'll start a new series next weekend. Um, this week, I feel um, kind of compelled to do a one-off message, um, kind of a vision-casting, refocused message uh, for us as a church. The title of uh, our message today is called State of the Union, and I just want to talk about where we've been, where we're at, and where we see things going as a church, as City Lights, and kind of a, uh, I don't know, refocusing or, or getting our eyes on what the Lord has called us to be as a church. Um, before I get into the message here, I just want to say, those of you who, this is your church home, and you are um, your givers, your tithers, I want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving to this church. Because of your faithfulness and your giving, we're able to do everything we do. Like, how many know that nothing's free? Right, like the communion elements that were here a minute ago, like that had to be paid for. Um, nothing is free, and I want to th- say thank you. Those of you who take tithing seriously, you put the Lord first in your finances. Thank you for doing that. If you're not a tither, I want to encourage you: um, become a tither. Put put the Lord first, and and give Him uh, the, the the first fruits of of, of your labors. Um, but because of your faithfulness, because of those of you who are givers and have taken that seriously. We've seen the faithfulness of God in this church since we started. And, um, you know, when you start it, how many know starting a church is, uh, it's not easy. If you've never done it, it's not easy. And don't ever do it unless God has called you to do it. If he's called you to do it, he'll, he'll, he'll help you. But unless the Lord builds a house, labor's labor in vain, right? Um, but we've seen God's faithfulness in finances at this church. Um, when we started, it was like, you know, Emily and I were getting paid. Our, our worship leaders and associate pastors were getting a very minimal pay. Everyone else was just, like, working for free, you know. Um, we had our children's pastor, uh, Pastor Karen, at the time when we started the church. She worked for free for several months and was working hard. And then we saw, like, okay, people are giving, tithes are coming in, let's start paying her something, you know. Um, and we were able to build that into a position. One of our goals last year was to make that a full-time position, the children's pastor, and so when we hired Dustin and Kate Grinneman, we were able to bring them on as a full-time status. And that is amazing, and they're amazing, and they're doing a great job. Um, and so we've you know, just set some goals along the way because we have to look forward and see where are things going and what is, what is God leading us to do. Another thing we did last year is um, our youth ministry has been growing and thriving. God's been faithful. And we were able to bring... Um, uh, the Millers on as a part-time status. Before that, they were kind of making some peanuts with us, but really working full-time jobs, making, you know, but they've been pouring into this youth group and doing an amazing job for since we started. And one of the goals we, we wanted to see this year was we wanted to be able to bring them on into a full-time status, to be able to direct all of their attention and energy to uh, youth ministry and some other things here at the church. And I'm pleased to announce that we were able to uh, make that make that move and bring them on to a full time position, and so I want to say, yeah, you clap because it's worth clapping. I want to have them just come up real quick though and just acknowledge um, what they've done, what they have built. You know, a lot of churches they have a youth ministry, and then the youth pastors come in, and then they drive people who are in the church to that youth group. We've certainly done that. But in this case, we, they've actually brought a lot of families to the church because the youth ministry is so amazing. Our church has actually grown because of our youth ministry. And we know that as we continue to invest in children and in youth, that, that our church is going to continue to grow. And so, um, I wanna, do you want to say anything about youth and your life? And Yeah, sure. No, we're super excited for this. We feel like we've built this, like, 
semi-complicated drill, but haven't been able to use it yet. <laughs> and I feel like in this next season, we're just going to be able to go really deep. And I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do. Um, the second we took this, we could just feel the passion start to um, come up for this next season that we're going into. So we're excited. Yeah. Well, let me, yeah, let me have you guys, um, if you would stretch your hands this way. Let's just pray a blessing over these guys. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you for the Millers, and we thank you for this youth ministry and what they've been able to build in such a short time. God, I thank you for their faithfulness and that um, we've just seen the beginning, Lord, of what you're going to do. And they're going to help City Lights continue to build that revival culture, Lord, and in some ways lead that revival culture. So we just thank you for them in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Awesome. Um, As you can see, Stephanie is with child, as they say. Um, And they're due at the end of July. So um, give them some, yeah, she's not carrying a beach ball underneath there. Um, Give them some grace for the month of August. We're going to let them obviously have some downtime to, you know, adjust to baby and stuff like that. But come fall time, they're going to be full on and, and ready to minister. So, yay. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. And I will just say this too. Um, you know, there's, there's whispers of a downturn in the economy coming. And I just want to say, God, we don't want to just have, you know, natural finances. We want to have supernatural finances, don't we? As a church, supernatural finances. And so be trusting God and believing God that for you and your household, getting through that season, um, a possible downturn, that God's going to provide for you. So make him first in your finances. Okay. Um, one other thing I'll just tack on just to faithfulness and giving and casting vision is uh, our building fund. We're always saving because we want our own facility. We rent this facility from another church and that's been a great relationship and we don't have any complaints with that, but we do want our own space later. Um, but we do have $659,000 saved in our building fund. And again, that's thank you for your faithfulness and giving towards that. Um, and we're always looking. We're always looking for land or buildings. For, you know, we're always kind of got some irons in the fire. But if you guys, you know, find anything that's like, hey, I think church could happen here in Greeley or West Greeley, you know, that's kind of the area we're looking. Um, let us know. But be praying and believing with us that God will open the right door at the right time, that we'll be able to step through and have our own facility. We're not sure how close that is or how far away that is, but we are believing for it. Okay, this morning I want to talk about the strategy that the Lord has given us to impact this city, this region, and to make an impact around the world. Um, I'll start with our vision statement as a church. Um, Our church is named City Lights Church. What does that mean? That means this. We exist to light up our world with the love of Jesus. This is why City Lights Church exists. Okay, City Lights Church is not just a cool name. It's you are the lights of the city. God's called you to go out and shine a light into the world. That's our vision statement. How do we accomplish this? How do we we light up a world with the love of Jesus? Well, here's our strategy. This is the strategy the Lord has given us. Number one, we encounter God. Number two, we empower people. We empower individuals. And number three, we intentionally shine God's love in our city and our world. Okay, Encountering God in his presence. This is our premier value. Okay, I don't, I'm not saying we've arrived at this point, like this is, we're doing this better than anyone else. I'm certainly not saying that at all. But we want to continue to strive for encountering the Lord in his presence. I want people, when they walk through those doors, to have Jesus encounters. Amen? Why? Because Jesus encounters transform you. 
Like, I don't want them to have a curtain counter. Like, I hope you like me. I hope you think I'm funny, whatever it is. But more than anything, I want you to have a Jesus encounter because I won't change you forever, but Jesus can. Come on. All right. So we do many things as a church. We have many initiatives and passion projects, but we never want to graduate from keeping the first commandment in first place. And I want to encourage you, never graduate from keeping the first command in the first place. The first command is this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Amen? We believe that when we keep the first priority, the first priority, that everything else will flow from that. Every ministry initiative that we have as a church begins with this premier value of experiencing God's presence. Every system and structure that we have as a church exists to serve this premier value. Okay, We don't create systems and structures and serve them. No, those systems and structures serve the vision. Okay, Systems and structures aren't bad. They just need to be in the right place. Amen? In Exodus chapter 34, uh, Moses um, was having some pretty interesting quiet times. How many think Moses had interesting quiet times? Moses would go meet with God in this tent. And when Moses would come out of the tent, his face was radiating with the glory of God, with the glory of Jesus, right? He was, he was radiating God's presence. How many think that would be interesting? Like you're following a leader. Your leader goes to have a quiet time. He comes out and you're terrified of him because, or her because their face is glowing. Okay, um, so because the people were terrified of Moses' face because he's radiating the glory of Jesus, the Bible actually says that he would wear a veil over his face so he wouldn't freak everyone out. And you, and you can read about in 2 Corinthians 3 how that veil has been... Re- there's a veil covering the faces of those who don't know Jesus, but that veil is removed in Christ. Okay, It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord, who is the Spirit... Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, okay? When we encounter Jesus in his presence, there's freedom comes in our lives. When you first met Jesus, I'm sure he set you free from some stuff. But listen, as a believer, along the way, Jesus', Jesus encounters continue to set us free, and we continue to live at liberty in the Lord because of his presence. Um, I don't know about you, but since I've become a believer, there's been times I needed set free, Right? You could go through seasons where you need set free. It's the, uh, the presence of the Lord. Where the presence of the Lord is there is freedom. Where Jesus' encounters are, there's freedom happening. This is why we value this so much. Second uh, Corinthians 3.18 says this, the very next verse. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who bright re- brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is spirit. All right? Why do we value the presence of Jesus? Because it's in that place. There's freedom. You are set free. And there's transformation that happens in the presence of Jesus. This is why we value this so much. More than anything, church, we want to be a a people of his presence. We want to be marked by God's presence. All right? Um, And then, of course, we want to empower people. This happens in an authentic community, and we want to shine Jesus and the love, uh, shine Jesus' love in in our world. Now, so that's kind of our vision, mission, strategy, and I talk more about that in the Belong class. But I want to highlight in this kind of vision weekend 
um, I want to highlight two other directives that the Lord gave me for our church uh, last year. Okay, the first one happened uh, about this time last year, maybe May, uh, June of last year. Um, I'm kind of a, in some respects, I'm kind of a nerd, and I was watching a SpaceX launch because I'm I'm into space stuff. Okay, and so I'm watching a SpaceX launch, and uh, in that at that time, the Lord actually. I began to feel him like highlighting certain aspects of this launch um, because he was giving me a prophetic picture of where we were at and where we are at as a church. Okay, The Lord will do this to you as well. For me, it was a SpaceX launch. Whatever you're into, the Lord will use these metaphors sometimes to communicate to you. But I felt like he was highlighting this launch to show us where we're at as a church. So here's the deal. Um, space launches are divided into two segments. There's, there's stage one. That's when they lift off the ground. And then stage two is um, where stage one falls off and they continue going up. Um, What the Lord showed me last year is that stage one was complete and we were moving into stage two as a church. Here's the deal. When you start something new, when you got to get something off the ground, it takes a tremendous amount of energy, right? And with with the SpaceX launches, there's nine Merlin engines that take that that, um, spaceship up to above the atmosphere. And then once they get above the atmosphere, that stage falls off. And then there's only one Merlin engine that takes it um, and accelerates it from that point on. Okay. Uh, what the Lord was showing me is that there are systems, structures, and in some cases, people that necessarily needed to separate and fall away. And God was continuing to accelerate us into the next phase of our journey. In fact, most of the momentum that a rocket gains is is in between Miko and Seco. Miko is main engine cutoff, that's the end of stage 1, and Seco is second engine cutoff, that's stage 2. Most of the the momentum it gains because to to be in a nominal orbit it has to be going like 14 or 16,000 miles per hour. Most of the momentum it gains is during that second phase. And I believe we're in a second phase as a church. And the reason why they were able to gain those, that momentum is because they're above the drag of the atmosphere. And so they, they accelerate. So that's what the Lord showed me last year, that we were, in, we were entering into stage two. And then at the end of last year, the Lord uh, gave me a blueprint for how we are to continue to build in stage two. And this blueprint for me came out of Nehemiah chapter three. One day I was reading Nehemiah chapter three, and the Lord, and there's... There's, uh, there's 10 gates listed in Nehemiah chapter 3. How many know that, um, if, you, if you're not familiar with the story, the children of Israel were taken captive into the Babylonian Empire. And then in Nehemiah, they're coming back to their homeland, and all the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down. And Nehemiah was tasked with the, he was given the job of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding the gates and rebuilding the walls. And... Um, Nehemiah chapter 3, what the Holy Spirit was showing me one day as I was reading it, is that it provides a prototype or a blueprint of how we are to continue to build in stage 2. So there's 10 gates listed there, and each gate for us has a prophetic significance to where the Lord is leading us. Okay, So I preached last year, I preached an 11-week series uh, out of Nehemiah called, called The Builders of the Wall, and we focused on each of these gates and their prophetic significance um, what I want to do today is kind of do a, um, a review of those 11 weeks, and I want to talk about the 10 gates that are listed there in Nehemiah chapter 3 
to kind of kind of rekindle and, and, and refocus us to make sure we're staying on track. Does that sound good? Okay. Um, I believe that Nehemiah 3 puts more meat on the bone of what a five-fold church should look like. Some of you are like, what's five-fold church? Okay, let me explain. In Ephesians chapter 11, the Bible says that there has been given apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and the evangelists. Why? For the edifying, the building up of the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. Okay. In other words, there's these offices that God has instituted and ordained. And when these offices are in uh, operation, they build up the church. In other words, the church will um, optimally be built when the fivefold ministry is in operation. Okay. Most churches, in my opinion, most churches have one to three of these in operation. Sometimes just one. They just have like the pastor and, and there's nothing else happening. Um, some of them have three. Um, but here's the deal. I want this church to have all five of them. I want to have the apostles. I want to have um, people with the apostolic gifting. I want to have prophetic voices. I want the evangelist working, right? Pastors, teachers. I mean, here's the deal. It's kind of like with, um, with parenting. How many know that God's really God's best design is that there would be a mom and a dad when you're parenting, right? Dad brings certain things to the table that mom can't. Mom brings certain things to the table that dad can't. When they work together, that's, that's a, a complementary way to raise a family. Well, listen, in the church, God's given apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists. And when we have these things in operation, that's how we raise a healthy family. How many want to be part of a healthy family? I know I do. But if you just have one, you get out of balance. For example, I'm a pastor. And pastors are, pastors are by nature, they're gatherers. They're like, come in, come in, and come inside, and we're going to care for you. Let's care for you. Let's get you inside, and let's gather, right? The evangelist is like the opposite. The evangelist walks in, and they're like, what are you all doing here? There's people out there that need Jesus. Go get them saved, you know? So the, the pastor's gathering. The evangelist is scattering. In some ways, those look like opposing views, but listen, they're complementary, right? The prophets, they're like, they're just seers. They're like, who cares about any of that? What is God saying? Let's just... Let's just find out what God's saying, and let's care about that, right? The teacher, they're like, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? And is that in the Greek? And is that in the Hebrew? And what is the historical context of that particular thing that we're talking about? Okay, that's the teacher. Listen, if it was only teachers that we had here, that, that would be uh, not a good thing. We need the others, right? And then apostles, they're like, let's start a movement. They pioneer and lead movements, right? And the apostle has this 30,000-foot view of where things need to go, but how many know the apostle's not down there on the ground, right? They're not always in touch. Sometimes that's why you need the pastor and the apostle working together. You need all the fivefold gifts working and operating at the same time. Can I get a witness? Okay. Uh, so we don't want to be lopsided. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to organically build these um, within our church. Um, now let me give you an example of some lopsided churches. Um, go ahead and put up that first picture. Okay. Okay, how many know this boat is lopsided, okay? You got a big guy in the back, not doing nothing, and you got this tiny woman. She's doing all the work. She's doing all the rowing, okay? This, maybe this is a picture of what it's like when you have a church that's all prophetic. They're like, yes, let's be fat and happy on the things God is speaking to us. Yeah, 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 but there's no evangelism happening, okay? Uh, go to the next picture. 
of imbalance. Okay. How many know this is unbalanced? This is actually, who knew that this war in Ukraine, I, it's certainly not panning out the way I thought it would. Russia has a pretty big and mighty military, and truth be told, they haven't come down with the full force of that. But no one expected the Ukrainians to fight like they fought and to hold the line like they have, right? And so what do they have? They have a mighty military, but they have a huge logistics problem. In fact, this has made me appreciate more what the United States was able to do in Iraq and in Afghanistan by completely taking over those countries in a short period of time. I didn't realize what a logistical mastery that was. Um, And we're seeing this unfold in Ukraine right now. So what do you need? You need mighty military, but you also have to have logistics and a very good strategy and a very good plan. Amen? Okay, maybe this one is the, this is all apostle, but no pastor happening, right? Okay, my point is this. We want to have a balanced church with the fivefold gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists, all working together to glorify Jesus and to build and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen? Okay, so Nehemiah 3, and my what the Lord was showing me, Nehemiah 3 was building a picture and putting more meat on the bone of how we can specifically um, uh, build this, okay? So I'm going to review these gates. And um, again, I did, I did an entire message on each of these gates. And so if you've missed any of those gates, go back and listen to them. I did, I did a whole message on each of these gates. So we're going we're gonna to review them um, fairly quickly here. Um, so number one was, if you read Nehemiah 3, number one is the sheep gate. Everyone say sheep gate. Okay, the sheep gate. This is the pastor's gate. Okay, pastors are shepherds. And in the Bible, many times... Uh, God's people and God's church, his, his flock, is referred to as sheep. We are all sheep following the great shepherd, right? And pastors are shepherds of God's flock. When you start a church, the first thing you have to do is provide a place for God's flock. You have to provide a, fa- a place for his sheep. So we have to build the sheep gate. Before you can take on all kinds of passion projects... You must create an environment where so the spiritual needs of believers are being met. A definition of ministry could be this. Meeting people at the point of their spiritual need. That's what we have to do as a church. We have to meet people at the point of their spiritual need. And that's the sheep gate. That's the first thing you have to do when you start a church. Okay, number two, the fish gate. Everyone say fish gate. All right. The fish gate, this is the evangelist's gate. Why? Because in the Bible, uh, fishing was used as a metaphor to winning people to Jesus. Okay, that's what an evangelist does, is they win people to Jesus. Jesus called ordinary old fishermen to be evangelists, okay? Um, it says this in Matthew chapter 4, 19. Jesus said this, speaking to his disciples. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will make you fishers of men, okay? Listen, church... We must never get our eyes off of the fact that God has called every believer to go tell others about Jesus. He has called all of us to evangelize. Now listen, the evangelist leads us and teaches us how to evangelize, but we're all called to be evangelists. Amen? Okay. Um, One of the quickest ways for a church to become irrelevant is to stop evangelizing. This is why we encourage you guys, go tell others about Jesus. Tell them, if he set you free, come on, tell others about how he set you free. And bring them to church so we can do altar calls and we can tell them about Jesus and lead people to Jesus. Okay, 
We want the fish gate open here. We want the evangelist working and an operation here. Amen? Okay. The third gate is this one. This will relate to some of you. The old gate. How many old gates we got up in here? You can raise your hand if you want. I don't know. Okay. Or we could say it this way. Wisdom's gate. Okay. Every life-giving, spirit-empowered church needs to have wisdom's gate open. All right. How many know that once you open the fish gate, the first thing you need to do is get those fishies around some wise people, all right? When new believers come into God's house, they need, to be the, they need to be influenced by the wise so that they can start maturing. And I just want to say, if you're one of those individuals who you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you're older, you're more seasoned, is that a better word? Instead of calling you old, we'll just call you seasoned. You're a seasoned believer. I want to commission you. If you see a young believer in the Lord and they're just flailing through life, man, take that young believer under your wing and begin to pour yourself into them and disciple them and show them how to follow Jesus. Show them how to be a disciple. And if you're younger in the Lord, or maybe you're not younger, but you just see attributes in other people that you need. For example, you you see someone in the church, they're good with finances. They're really anointed with finances. Man, go from them and learn from them. Or you see, a, you see a family, they're really good parents. Or they got a really good marriage. And your marriage could be better and you could be better parents. Find these people and, and learn from them. Learn how to be good parents. Learn how to have a good marriage. We need wisdom's gate open in the house of God. It says this in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay? Listen, don't despise wisdom and instruction. Because if you do, the Bible calls you a fool. Okay? We want wisdom's gate open. We want the, the more mature in the Lord helping instruct and discipling and teaching the younger believers how to be Christ followers. Okay? Our, uh, our deacon board, for example, for my wife and I, we don't just lead this by ourselves. I, we get the vision, of course, and the direction, and our deacon board helps us. But they support us in so many ways. They have been an amazing source of wisdom for my wife and I, our, 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 de- our deacon board. And we're so blessed to have some people with some maturity, who have some life experience, who know how to help us guide the ship. Amen? So I say this as a pastor who's leading this thing. I have men in my life, who speak into my life, who are a guiding hand in my life as well. You never graduate from this either. All right, so we need wisdom's gate. Uh, Number four, every spirit-filled, life-giving church needs to have the valley gate open. We need to be able to meet people going through the valley. What is the valley? The valley speaks of dark places, broken places, wounded places, Listen, if you've ever been in debt, if you've ever had a death of a loved one, if you've ever gone through a divorce, if you've ever had a bad diagnosis from your doctor, if you've ever been addicted to anything, listen, that's a valley. That is a, that is a dark valley. And maybe some of you are here, maybe you're going through a valley today. Listen, we all go through valleys from time to time. And we want to be a church that can meet people coming through the valley and minister to them in their brokenness, okay? Just listen, life is not easy. Even just doing everything right, you're still going to have difficult things come up in your life. And you're going to need people to hold up your hands and to minister to you from time to time. I, I missed a couple uh, weeks ago. I wasn't in church. Um, 
because my stepdad passed away a couple weeks ago. I went to Tennessee to help my sister out and my mom out. Listen, that was a, a low time for me. But listen, I had, I had believers around me who were supporting me and praying for me and being a source of encouragement to me. So even as the pastor of this thing, I just, I'm thankful that I have people in my life who are there for me, okay, who, who, can, who can bring life. Um, okay, so that's the valley gate. We want to have ministry to the broken. Jesus Jesus' eyes were looking upon the broken, and he loves the, he loves the broken. He wants to help them in their pain. All right, number five. This is the least glamorous gate of all, but a very important and necessary gate, the dung gate. Okay? Everyone say the dung gate. If you don't know what dung is, it's poop. All right? Everyone say poop. Now you're all awake. Okay? I got it. You got to use your tricks up here. Okay? In biblical times... The dung gate was a very important gate. It was basically the city sanitation gate. How many know that if our trash services stopped today and our sewers stopped working today, we would have major problems as a city on our hands very, very quickly. Disease and filth would, would become rampant almost immediately. We, we, we underappreciate having clean, fresh water, sewer, and sanitary services, okay? Um, but in ancient times, the Dungate was the place that they took all the waste of the city out, and it was expelled from the city and burned or whatever. And um, this kept a city free from disease and filth. Okay, we could say it this way. The Dungate is the deliverance gate. What is deliverance? Deliverance essentially is this, healing from our yesterday so that we can have hope for our tomorrow. How many of we all have a yesterday? We all, even after you get saved, you still have a yesterday. And sometimes you need deliverance from your yesterday, okay? Um, I've never done this, but I've thought about it. But how many, my wife's cringing right now. Um, but it's good, okay? When you go to a restaurant and you order food and you're like, yeah, I'll have this food. And then they bring it out to you. And then they come back a few minutes later. And sometimes a, wait, a waiter or waitress will ask this question. They'll say, how did everything come out? And I want to answer the question by saying this. I don't know. Ask me tomorrow. Okay? <laughs> okay, listen, church. Someone, someone, I haven't done it, and I'm not going to, but someone try that and let me know how it goes. Okay. Because I got to remember that I'm still a pastor in this town, all right? I'm just saying what I'm tempted to do, not what I do. <clears throat> how many know we need to help people let go of their yesterday, all right? Some people need healing from their traumas. Some people need to forgive offenses. That is your yesterday. Forgive, open the dung gate, and get your offenses out. Come on. Uh, in some cases, and, in, and yes, in some cases, it is helping people get delivered and freed from demonic oppression. I personally don't believe that, that Christians can be demonically possessed in their spirit because if the Holy Spirit lives there, Jesus lives there, the whole, the, no devil can. But I do know many believers, for different reasons, live under an oppression of the enemy for, for, for many different reasons. Okay, Listen, a church that has the deliverance gate helps those individuals to be free from their past and to move forward, to let their yesterday go so that they can move into their future. How many know that people coming through the valley, the, the dung gate comes after the valley gate, how many know that people coming through the valley have stuff that needs to be dealt with, okay? And we need to be a church 
that can meet people in that place. And I, I just, even with our staff, I want to evaluate each of these gates. How are we doing here? How are we, where are we at? Are we able to help people with deliverance? Are we able to bring people to Jesus? Are we able to, do we have these gates open? Okay, number six. The very next thing you have to do after you bring deliverance into someone's life is you need to open the fountain gate. The fountain gate speaks of the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. The fountain gate speaks of the indwelling of the person of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we as a church, we believe in the the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we want you to be filled with God. We want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus talked about, Jesus cast out a demon. And Jesus talked about the fact that if that demon is cast out, that house is now swept clean and that person has been delivered. But that demonic thing wants to try to come back to that person. And in order for it to come back, it has to bring it, itself and seven of its friends to demonically oppress that person again. What do we need to do? When we get someone free from their past, we immediately need to get them filled with the Holy Spirit so that the strong man on the inside of them is stronger than that thing trying to come back into their life. Amen? And so we need to, to um, get people filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit in operation. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verse 38. And again, uh, fountains and, and flowing water in the Bible many times is a picture of the move of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. All right? Here at City Lights, we believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We want God on the inside of you, right? And we believe in the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit. They're still for today, and we want them in operation. Amen? Okay. The next gate after that is the water gate. Everyone say water gate. Not to be confused with anything Nixon, all right? This is something else. The water gate speaks of the word of God. Many times in scripture, the, the word of God is, um, water is a metaphor for the Bible, the word of God. Um, I want people, I want you to be discipled by this, by this book. I want it to disciple you. I'm happy you're here at church, and this is valuable that we, we teach the word um, and, and I'm thankful for other ministers and other preachers who, you know, preach things. But if you're not in here, you're doing it wrong, okay? I just want to encourage you, be discipled by this book. Um, Nehemiah 8, 2 through 3, I just want to make the connection between um, the Word of God and, and water. So on, that, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women who were able to understand He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before, where? The water gate. In the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Okay? Throughout the Bible, water is a metaphor for the word of God. We need this flowing. This is a prophetic picture. Ezra is a a prophetic picture of the law um, before the water gate. Every life-giving, spirit-empowered church needs to have a strong emphasis on the Word of God. And I'm sorry to say this. This is not something I'm making up, but many churches do not have a high level of honor for the Word of God. And, and, and many Christians are 
um, biblically illiterate. They don't know the word of God. Listen, don't be one of those believers. If you want to be a strong believer in the Lord, you've got to get the word of God in you. You need to be in that book all the time. Amen? All right, so that's the water gate. Number eight, the horse gate. The horse gate speaks of spiritual warfare. Here's the deal. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, or are actively engaged in it or not, you are in a spiritual battle. Okay? You are in a spiritual battle. You have an enemy of your soul that hates you and hates everything God has called you to do. Okay? Life-giving, spirit-empowered churches have to win the war in the spirit realm. Okay? If we win the war in the spirit realm and we take the authority that God has given us, we will be so much more effective in this city and have breakthrough in our lives. Okay, so if you don't know who you are in Christ and you haven't learned your authority, learn who you are. Learn your authority. Learn how to wage war in the heavenly realm. How many know that there are, there are spiritual principalities and, and, and demonic uh, influences over certain cities, over certain regions, over certain organizations? But we as Christians can take authority in those places and break down strongholds in the spirit realm. Amen? Okay, so that's the horse gate. Horses speak of warfare in the Bible. Number nine is the East Gate. Okay, the East Gate speaks of Bible prophecy. Okay, not to be confused with the ministry, uh, uh, the ministry gift of prophecy or a prophet. This actually speaks of Bible prophecy, or I'll say it this way, eschatology, or the study of end time events. Now, in in my life, I've seen a pendulum of Strong emphasis on end times, and I've seen times where no one's really talking about this. And I want to say that if we're holding these things in tension, maybe we don't only talk about eschatology, but we do talk about it. Okay? I've, there's, listen, you, you, you can't only talk about eschatology because you've got to teach people how to be good parents. You've got to teach people how to have good marriages, those kind of things. But any time I think a church gets so far off and they never talk about the fact that Jesus is returning to this world, they're off base. Okay? We want to have the East Gate open at this church, and we want to talk about the fact that Jesus is coming back to this world. Things will not continue as they are forever. They can't. There's a collision course between this world and the God of heaven. Jesus is coming back, and we want to talk about that from time to time. A part of God's healthy recipe for life-giving, spirit-empowered churches is that we must keep in view the return of of the Lord Jesus. It's actually healthy for us as believers. Listen, even if you lived your whole life and you heard about the return of Jesus and you never experienced that, like you went home to be with the Lord before he returned this, this world, it's still healthy for you to, to live in such a way where you know he's going to return to this world. Okay? Look at this in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. It says this, Just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Okay, The mark of a true disciple, the mark of a true believer who's following Jesus is that we're waiting and watching and anticipating the Lord's return. Amen? That's a mark of a true believer. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you waiting and watching? Are you looking for Jesus to return to this world? Are you watching the signs of the times? And I'll say, 
one of the best ways to get a pulse on the signs of, of the times that we're in is to look to a little nation the size of New Jersey called Israel. Israel is like the roadmap for where we're at in eschatology and end times, and there's a lot happening over there. And so, as a church, we never want to drift far from, from keeping in view the return of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Okay. Last gate. And this one I'll probably talk about the most. But again, this is a brief overview. If you missed, by the way, any of these messages from last year, go back and listen to one, especially this one on the East Gate. That was a really fun message. Number 10 is the inspection gate. uh, Historically speaking, the, the inspection gate was the place that kings would assemble their armies before they go out to battle, and they would inspect their army and make sure their army was ready to go out to fight a battle. And when upon returning from battle, this is a place the king would then, again, stand in front of the army and inspect that army returning from battle. In some cases, that king would offer rewards to those who fought um, bravely um, or, or make even condemnations for those who didn't, didn't fight well. So this is a place of inspection. Here's the deal. Life-giving, spirit-empowered churches we need, there's three types of inspections that we need to have going on in our lives. I'll talk, here's the first inspection. The first inspection is this. It's self-inspection. It's a healthy thing every now and then to take inventory with the Lord. The Bible talks about when you take communion, don't take it flippantly. Take it and, and, and contemplate and analyze your life like, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I'm not saying to condemn yourself for your mistakes and your failures. Listen, your, your sins have been taken care of. Jesus took those. But allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you take communion. Or there should be times of evaluation, letting the Lord speak to us. David said this in Psalm 139. He said, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, that's... That is um, self-inspection and inviting God to inspect us. It's not a bad thing. If you know you're righteous in Christ Jesus, how many know that the righteousness we receive is Jesus' righteousness? Like when we put our faith and trust in him. If you know you're righteous, and you, you can come to him confidently and say, Okay, God, what needs work? How, what, what do you want to change? What do you want to speak to in my life? Okay, You can come to him confidently like that. Okay, So the first, one, first inspection is self-inspection. It's okay to do that. Number two is we need to have liberty to inspect one another. Okay? If you don't have anyone in your life who you consider a, a close for friend or person that can come to you and say, hey, I want to speak in your life. And these, these people can do one of two things. They can call gold out of you and say, hey, what you're doing here is amazing. I want to call you higher there. Or they can say, hey, you're just missing it here, and I want to call you above that. Okay? We all need people in our life to call us higher and to, to a better place. We need to be able to inspect one another. This is part of being part of a body of believers, okay? Um, if you're part of a, a body of believers, the expectation is this. We get, to, we get to provoke one another. We get to test one another. We get to look into each other's lives and, and, and say, hey, this is amazing, or hey, this, I think, could use some attention in your life, okay? Um, Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 through 7 says this. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Okay? Or flattery. That's called flattery. Someone who just says nice things to you all the time. Listen, a true friend 
can say, hey, um, you're missing it here, and I want to call you higher, okay? Be humble enough to receive that kind of um, input into your life. Listen, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I get to you know, get up here and tell you how to live. But listen, if you ever see me messing up, come talk to me. If you see Pastor Kurt messing up, like I should be humble enough to receive that myself. This flows both ways, amen, because we're all following the same Lord. Okay, we want to be able to inspect one another. Jesus, when the woman was caught in adultery, he didn't condemn her, but he did call her higher, amen? He said, go leave your life of sin. He didn't say, oh, no, what you're doing is fine. Go for it. No, (laughs) he said, hey, I don't condemn you either. Now go leave your life of sin. And that's what a true friend does. That's what we need to allow the Lord to do in our lives. That's, that's what we need to allow other people to do in our lives. Like say, hey, I don't condemn you because I have no right to, but I'm going to actually call you higher. Amen? Sure. Okay. The last inspection I want to talk about is this. This is the one that really matters. There is something coming to all of us called the final inspection. This is when the Lord Jesus himself will evaluate your life. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. One day, you will stand before this Jesus I'm talking about, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he will evaluate your life. Now listen, if you've received him, he's your Lord. Your sins are under the blood. They've been washed away. He will never condemn you or punish you according to your sins. Those have been taken away. You're righteous before him. However, your eternal rewards are contingent upon you walking in what he's called you to do. And I don't know exactly how this works out. We all get into heaven, and we all get to be with him forever. But there's certain things that he's called you to do in this life, and there's things he's called me to do in this life. And God's not going to hold me accountable for what he's called you to do, and he's not going to hold you accountable for what he's called me to do. But there is things in this life that he has called us to do. 2 Corinthians 5 Nine eleven says this, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Okay, This is known as the Bema Seat. In the Greek, the, the Greek word is the Bema Seat. The Bema Seat was where, in the Greek culture, the Roman culture, where judges sat to make judgments, but also where they sat to reward athletes and give, give rewards to athletes according to how they played um, or, or were in the, a game. So listen, there is a day of reward coming for you and I. Jesus, listen, you give a cup of cold water in his name, he doesn't forget it. He sees it, he recognizes it. Man, if you pick up a piece of trash and no one sees you pick it up because you're making the parking lot look better or you're forgiving someone and no one has to know that or whatever that listen you're on the computer and there's a temptation to click on something that you know is bad you passing over that saying no lord thank you that's not who i am god sees that and he will commend you one day for those those types of decisions amen here's the deal what you believe determines where you will spend eternity if your faith and trust is in the lord jesus you're heaven bound. That's what you believe determines where you spend eternity. But what you do according to your beliefs and according to what God has called you to do, to a certain degree, determines the rewards that you will receive before you stand before the Lord one day. Church, 
I want you to be ready on that day. I want to be ready. And I don't want there to be one thing in my life that God called me to do that I didn't do. Because I want to, I want to stand before him and know that I accomplished his will for my life. And he has a will for you as well. That's the inspection gate. And it's, man, we need to have that gate open in this church. We need to have the ability to let this wound us, to let this cut us, to let the Holy Spirit cut us, and to wound one another for our benefit. Amen? Because why? Because we love each other. Because we want to call each other higher. It's not because we hate each other. It's because we love each other. The Lord disciplines the son whom he loves, right? If you're truly a legitimate son or daughter of the Most High King, he will discipline you. He has to because he loves you. Amen? And if I'm a good pastor and you're a good friend to other people, we will speak into each other's lives when it's necessary. Amen? Why don't you guys stand to your feet? Those are the ten gates that I really just felt like we needed to touch on again and review. And those are the ones we want to have open. So, Lord, we thank you for the inspection gate that we can inspect one another. We thank you for the east gate. We're looking for your return, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the horse gate, Lord God, that we're going to engage in spiritual battles. God, we thank you for the water gate, that we love the word of God. We love the Bible. God, we thank you for the fountain gate, Lord. We thank you for the indwelling of the person of the Holy Spirit, and we thank you for the empowering life that he gives us. God, we thank you for the dung gate, delivering us from our past mistakes and failures, Lord, and things that happen to us, Lord. God, we thank you for the valley gate, that we're going to be a church that ministers to those coming out of low places. Lord, we thank you for wisdom's gate, the old gate. God, I thank you for every gray hair in this place, and we just honor the wisdom that they bring to the table. God, we thank you for the fish gate, that we're all going to evangelize and tell others about Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the sheep gate, that this is the place we can come to to have spiritual needs met. We love you, and we thank you for today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.